Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code presson25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Presson Falsies. Hi, this is Ibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm also the host of Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight, and I'm the editor of the anthology, which you should run out and buy, called Moms Don't Have Time to, a quarantine anthology. All proceeds of that book go to COVID-19 vaccine research. And I'm the editor-in-chief of Moms Don't Have Time to Write, a new publication on Medium, and we're accepting submissions, so please send your personal essays there. And if all that isn't enough, you can follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens, and my website is ZibbyOwens.com. Okay, now back to this amazing podcast. Billy Baker is the author of We Need to Hang Out, a memoir of making friends. Billy is a staff writer for the Boston Globe, where he writes narrative features and humorous columns. A native of South Boston, he's a graduate of Boston Latin School, Tulane University, and the Columbia Journalism School. He has received the Deborah Howell Award for Writing Excellence from the American Society of News Editors and was a member of the Globe team that was awarded the Pulitzer Prize for coverage of the Boston Marathon bombings. Welcome, Billy. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss We Need to Hang Out, a memoir of making friends. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. We were just hanging out with Kyle, which is great because my husband, as we discussed, is like so good at keeping his friends more so than most I would say people, men, whatever, and is always like encouraging me to call friends. And so when I told him about your book originally, he just like glommed onto this and has recommended it front, right, and center. So anyway. That's fantastic. And he seems like a natural glue guy. Like this phrase I use in the book of a velvet hook, like these things we need to find that are are these soft connectors, a way to be friends with our friends. Sometimes that velvet hook is a person, you know, it's the Kyles of the world who are like, 
let's get the band back together and then follow through on it. So I love it. I love the energy he gives off. Yeah, it's really amazing. Yeah. I think I'm much more in the camp that you kind of described of like, life is busy. We have our kids. We have our work. Like, yeah, there are good friends, but like, oh, wait, you moved to, like, to another continent, you know? Somebody was asking me about one of my good friends, and I was like, oh, yeah, no, she's one of my best friends. She lives in Seattle. And then, like, two minutes later, I was like, actually, I think she might have moved to, to Portland. <laughs> like, now I'm confused. I have to check my cat. Like, anyway, so I feel like I have close friends, and I love them, and I, you know, but... I, I I need to do a much better job. So anyway, your your book came at the right time for me too. So for anybody who doesn't know what we're talking about, can you tell what your book is about and then the fun story that you recount in the book of how this became a book? Sure, yeah. So I, it became a book because I was conned by an editor with one of the oldest lies in journalism, which is we have a story we think you'd be perfect for. And so I marched into the editor's office with my BS detector turned all the way up and I sat down and he said, I want you to write about how middle-aged men have no friends. And, you know, I mean, in a split second, I'm having this existential crisis, and he is prattling on about this epidemic that apparently is racing through America, this loneliness epidemic. And to be honest, I'm half listening to him at this point, but what he's laying out is, is this startling thing that it, not only do we have this loneliness epidemic, but it has real dire consequences for not just your mental health, but your physical health. I mean, this guy's laying out a, a proposal in front of me that not having friends means I'm going to die earlier. I'm going to more likely to get cancer, whatever it is. And so I told the editor in that moment, one of the other oldest lies in journalism, which is I'll think about it. So the point of that was for me to justify my way out of this story and be like, no, I, I've got I've got plenty of friends. You know, I've got friends. I'm so lucky to have great friends all over the world. But in just this short walk back to my desk in the newsroom, it was like, oh, there's this guy. And I, God, I haven't seen him in six months. And then, you know, this person. And has it been a year since I've seen the person I call my best friend? You know, uh, things like this. And so I sat down at my desk and kind of committed to the story in the sense that I came to realize that I wasn't, there was nothing special about me. And that's why I was perfect to write this story. I was painfully typical. And the typical American male and American in general is kind of categorically lonely. So the, you know, so I write this article and then I kind of want to hide under my desk because in the article, I'm admitting to these things that aren't like cool guy things, you know, uh, uh, like, yeah, I've gotten to the point where I don't have any friends. I mentioned the article meeting this soldier guy who had a crew of guys that meet on a Wednesday night every every week. And I realized, you know, there were a couple one Wednesdays that came and went and it was like, I don't even have anyone to like call tonight, you know, to go have a beer. And on the surface, I'm doing a lot of things well. You know, I have a career and a lovely family and kids and things are going well. You know, I'm eating my vegetables. I'm going to the gym. But at the end of the day, it was I didn't have any friend time scheduled in my day. So I write this article, want to hide under my desk. The article comes out and it went crazy. It was the weirdest thing. It became, at the time, the most popular article the Boston Globe had ever published. Like the Boston Globe. And all of a sudden... <laughs> <laughs> I'm the guy being dragged on NPR to talk about male loneliness. You know, all this stuff is swirling in my head. Like this wasn't, you know, I felt like the kid sitting alone in the cafeteria that was like, tell us how you feel. And so 
that article really kind of started this conversation. At the time, the Surgeon General, that was his platform, like this sort of loneliness epidemic. And I don't think many people were paying much attention to him. And then I write this silly article where I throw myself under the bus. Boom, this thing explodes. And right away, I started getting thousands of emails, but the emails were all the same. They weren't asking me for any more proof of this loneliness epidemic. They were like, okay, I acknowledge the cancer. What's secure? And so at this point, very selfishly, I'm like, I got to cure my own problems here, right? So I took on, you know, I committed to write a book, but the idea was, you know, I wasn't going to write a book about loneliness. I was going to write a book about friendship, about the problems with trying to fix this. So there's a lot of science of loneliness in it a lot of science of friendship. And, you know, I I set off on this journey. And initially, I mean, if I were to ask you, what's the cure for loneliness? The answer is simple. It's like friends. You need need friends in your life. As we talked about before we came on the air here, I mean, but making that a practical thing, you know, making friendship a part of your daily life was tricky. And I'm one of these, you know, many people who I no longer live where I grew up. I moved to sort of that community to raise a family that made a lot of sense on paper. But at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, there were some dads I'd say hi to on the sidelines at a game or some people I knew from, you know, the gym or whatever it might be. But it it was I didn't have active membership in a tribe. You know, I, I had many tribes swirling around me, you know, my high school friends, my college friends, whatever it might be. But those were all the best once a year activities. So Initially, what I tried to do was to get those bands back together. And I worked hard at it, you know, and I I put myself in vulnerable positions, which is not a something men are taught to be comfortable doing. And it worked for the most part. You know, I, I could say I got the band back together. We're as close as we've been since we were originally friends. But, you know, the the past is a nice place to visit. But if I wanted to solve my issues and reap the health benefits of friendship, I needed to have friends today and every day. You know, I needed friends in my current community. So I had to take on like the ultimate loser assignment, which is to try to make friends, right? Like, so you you know, when someone's trying to come on a little strong, you're like, oh, this person just is so craving friendship. I'll, so. I'll tell you the best way to make friends, by the way, is starting your own podcast. And then you can make a friend like every half an hour. But uh, anyway, keep going. <laughs> no, I, I believe it. I, 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 I'm I envious of podcasts in the sense that like, oh, you get to have these fun conversations all the time. right? I was actually, it, uh, I was just thinking to myself as you were talking, like you should do Dads Don't Have Time to See Friends as a podcast. <laughs> You have a great podcast voice. I'm not even kidding. Like, I was thinking that's would be amazing. And you would like, it would, anyway, we can talk about it later, but that would be. Oh, I I would love that. But so anyway, so to speed up the sort of plot of this book, what, what ultimately happened is I got sick of experts. You know, everyone's an expert at friendship. But in reality, I came to the conclusion that like, no one's an expert or we're all experts, right? Like it, it takes effort. It takes, you know, it takes being vulnerable. It takes all these things. But what what helped for me was to kind of shift my focus and to do this awkward thing of try to make friends in adulthood, new friends, to try and make new best friends. And I felt liberated by hearing Mindy Kaling say on her her TV show, she said she had this great quote, which is that uh, best friend is not a person. It's a tear. And thinking of it that way, it was like, I'm not betraying my boys from the past by being like, you know what? I, I don't see you very often. I need a new best friend. I need people in that role. How do you get them? Well, I, being a, a tad too dramatic, decided I was going to send 
like secret invitations to a dozen guys and try and replicate this Wednesday night thing that I, I'd heard about from these older guys who live in, in my new town. And who were those guys? Those were all those people where, you know, I knew they liked me and I liked them. And we had that little spark. That's a term often revert, re- reserved for romantic relationships. But they were the people we'd say, oh, we should get a beer sometime. And then, you know what, like we had, we got to load the kids in the car. You know, it's like, uh, when, when is that day? It, it's a polite gesture. The title of my book is We Need to Hang Out. And I, I feel like that's a phrase <laughs> that gets thrown about a lot. But do, how much does it mean? You know, it, it, it can be a directive. But so I set out to kind of create my own tribe my own squad, you know, a new squad. And ultimately it worked because I think those, the men I invited were all in the same category of like, yeah, I've got a lot of stuff going well, but I just don't have, I don't have that thing. I don't have the boys. So yeah, I created the boys. And I, and I have to say, I I started with a dozen guys. We're all still very close, but out of that, I've added four new best friends and they are the best friends I see and talk to every day, you know? And so they are- Every, yeah, really every day we we are. So today is a Wednesday when we're recording this. So tonight the texts are already flying. Like, what are we going to do? You know, and and we've we've made that sacred. You know, Wednesday night is like our thing. The the wives, the kids know that like dad's going to be MIA. He's got his thing, and whatever that thing is, I don't. It's it's we're floating many ideas about tonight. <laughs> Uh, you know, so you're it, done with the mall at this point? Like no more mall? The mall, we were going to the mall for a little bit. We were doing then uh, this sort of this larger Wednesday night crew was happening in a barn. And then that was good because that had like, that was a neutral, you know, they, they, it's all in the book. But ultimately I realized that Wednesday night is a promise. It's a concept, you know, and we made this promise and some people made it back, you know, of the dozen guys that started originally, you know. Two or three are sort of very much in and out. There's a few that show up every half the time. And then there's a core group that are like, you know, this is important to me and I need this. And Wednesday night is now very often Thursday night and Friday night and, you know, Monday morning. You know, we're we're old men now. So sometimes the easiest time to get together is at 5 a.m. for like a, a jog or something like that. So we're making it happen. And in ways I find impossible to explain, I feel like a happier, healthier, better everything because I've got, I've got friends. So that editor that conned me ultimately gave me the chance to give myself a wonderful gift. And I will say it's referenced in the book, but that editor, I saw that took that as impetus and and got his own act together. (laughs) I love that. That was like the perfect coming full circle moment. Amazing. And I loved like when you're out in the field, like waiting for your impromptu high school reunion to get together and you're just like sitting there and you're telling us like what's in your head as you wait for them all to come. I mean, it's so relatable. It's like so funny. And, you know, this, this sort of, yeah, this putting yourself out there and like hoping that it gets returned and not really knowing that's not a great feeling. You know, it's hard. The discomfort of that is what stops a lot of people from reaching out or whatever. So You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Oh, throwing a party and worrying that no one's going to come. I mean, that is that is high level stress. But, you know, yeah, I will say this. Every time I put myself out there, the universe rewarded me. You know, like it, it, people accepted, it, it appreciated that I was doing it and that, you know, it made them OK. And all along, I've been the one just raising my hand like, I'm the loser here. You know, I'm, I'm the, I'm the, the guy making this effort. Like, so if anything, it, I think men are very comfortable communicating via ball busting. So having me as the person that they could throw under the bus was a bonding mechanism. You know, like I feel like uh, even still to this day, the Wednesday night will be like, oh, what's Billy going to force us to do tonight? Meanwhile, like it's the highlight of their week, you know? I just don't think it would fly if I said to my kids and even Kyle, like, every week I'm going out with my girlfriends. Like, I go out with my girlfriends, like, once a – not one, more than once – like, once a quarter or something like that, and I always feel guilty about it. But Well, maybe- let, let me say what the experts would tell you is that regularity is the key. If it is every Wednesday night, then life will find a way to revolve around it. You know, this is yeah. why things mm-hmm. – the simplest things are the ones that work the best. The weekly book club or the sports league or poker yes. night, whatever it is, you know – you know, that person's just MIA. That's their night. And so the, the, I find the, uh, the occasional one to be that much harder. I mean, my least favorite phrase in, in the human language is let's throw out some dates, right? Like that's like when, you know, (laughs) it's just not going to work. That's a polite way of saying we're we're never going away for the weekend. Like there's zero chance that this lines up. I know. But you know, even those annual events, if it's like every Labor Day or whatever it is, yeah, you know, then true. life finds a way around it. So I do have one friend and during the pandemic, every Saturday morning we would play tennis and it was great. And now I've like gotten to know her like all anew, you know, it's great. So, and now of course she's like across the street. I haven't seen her right? literally across right. the street. I'm like, I don't know. You know. <laughs> Ridiculous. So so I think that's a classic example. Like you need to find ways to be friends with your friends, right? And something as simple as tennis, you know, is it about the tennis or is it about, you know, what what comes after the tennis, you know, the conversations and those in-between spaces. So there's something worth knowing. No, the the conversation is the tennis. We talk the entire time. There's not a moment. I love it. There's not a moment we're not talking. We call it like country club tennis at this point because we were like, <laughs> sometimes we don't even sweat. It's embarrassing. But anyway. No, but that it's the excuse, right? That's what yeah, these things the are. They, these are the, these, you know, soft connectors, these velvet hooks. But something very worth knowing for your listeners is that there is a fundamental difference in how men and women interact with each other, which is that women talk face to face and men talk shoulder to shoulder. So if yeah. you're looking to find those ways to be friends with your friends, 
be conscious of that. Like, you know, women, I think, are very capable of keeping friendships going over the phone. That's actually a documented fact. Men are terrible at this. You can get coffee. You you can sit there and you can start right away in this deeper level. Men, meanwhile, you know, if a man invites me to get coffee, I'm a little like, ah, yeah, let me check my schedule. But if they say, will you come over and help me cut down this tree in my backyard? Like, I'll be there in a second, right? Like, <laughs> That's really and, funny. Yeah. That's you funny. know, and it's in our DNA somewhere. And this is what makes it natural for for men is to be in that shoulder to shoulder. And then maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, but you know, that's the space where the magic happens, where where you might say, Hey, how's your dad doing? You know, or maybe you don't. You know, my wife is always on my case because I'll come home from my Wednesday nights and it'll be like, Oh, how's so-and-so's mother doing? I know she's sick. And I'm like, yeah. it, it never came up. I'm I, I'm sorry. But you know, you read the room. I it didn't seem like they wanted to talk about it. What they yeah. wanted to talk about is, you know, who farted or whatever it is <laughs> we're doing. <laughs> oh my gosh, too funny. Yeah. You know, the only thing that what I was thinking when I read this that was like you know, the times in my life I know and like other people's lives when they are their most lonely, I don't feel like they necessarily know. And I know this is sort of, I'm not saying this very eloquently, but like, this is like about reconnecting, right? It's like, I used to have friends. I'm not making time for friends. This is how I need, this is why it's so important to make time for friends, to rediscover friends, to figure out who I want to be friends with at this stage of my life. And maybe those are new people and that's okay. But I feel like the times that people feel the most you know, worried or alone is when they don't feel they have access to a friend group. And then what do they do? And then of course your research is just like, oh great. Well now not only am I lonely, but now I'm gonna die. You know, so it's I like know. <laughs> and that's a bind. Loneliness begets loneliness. I mean, we all know that cranky old person that you go and try and be nice to them and they're they're awful to you, you know, and but that is that's the a symptom of the loneliness. I'd say, you know, I do hear from a lot of people who are Aren't, aren't, you know, just a, in, in the typical situation I described, but are, are chronically lonely. And it's the same solution. You've got to find a squad. And if you don't have one, you, you've got to create one. And it, it's a simple, we know what these things are. These are, you know, everyone has their little thing they're in new. If you can find other people that are in new it, then you've already got something in common, right? And the internet, I mean, there are moments when I want to just take it out behind the barn and shoot it. But it, now it also comes with these benefits of, you know, if you are into collecting Pokemon cards as an adult, there is other people in your community that are into it, right? And you can find them and, and you're you're at step one already. And, you know, re really step one is initiative, putting in the effort, being willing to be vulnerable. Step two is finding these ways to be friends. And if you start with that, pretty soon the magic's going to happen. I wrote about this in the book, like the the only real, so I, when I kind of took this inventory myself, the only real social time I had was at the gym. And the idea in my head that I was going to be one of these adults whose like friends were the guys from the gym, like it was like humiliating to this <laughs> like little Billy had of a uh, grown up Billy, but you know what? Like there I was. And so I had to do the even more awkward thing and be like, Hey, gym friends, do you want <laughs> You want to become real life friends. And you know what? Like the answer was yes, they did, you know? And so I, I should, we should talk about, you know, like the pandemic arrived in the middle of me, you know, sort of taking on this issue. And obviously it was bad to change things. I think it made us more appreciative, but what I feel like I'm seeing now, I, I, you know, when I'm on a podcast or whatever, and they're asking me like, what do I think the impact will be? I think I'm already seeing the impact. I feel like 
and I'm just a naive optimist. I feel like we are entering this new golden age of friendship. Like I feel like people are conscious of why they need it and they're making the effort. Like, I mean, now I just feel, I see so many new things happening and maybe they're all new because we're locked in our houses for a year, but I think we have never been more aware of the importance of friendship in our lives, the impact of loneliness and the need to do something about it. So I wrote a book. It has a semi-corny title of We Need to Hang Out. It is a, it is great if you want to. If you are like many guys, you struggle for a way to say, hey, I miss you. You you do like some guy just asked me to like sign a bunch of, you know, what are these called? Book plates for their friend and talk trash about him so he can mail it to his friends that he misses. And yeah, so this book is written for the sort of guy that probably doesn't read a lot of books. It's also <laughs> written for his wife. Okay. <laughs> there are many books about female friendship. I'm really not aware of many about male friendship, especially delving into the science and the psychology and why we're so screwed up and also why women are so much better at it. That, that was one of the most wonderful things to try and explore because when I first started, I just kept hearing women are better at friendship than men. It was like, oh, why? Okay, I'm just, as a man, we are constantly told that women are better than us at all these social things. And you know what? You are better. And there are, there are really cool biological reasons why you're better. And there's also vulnerability reasons why you're better. So I did a lot of spying on women with the goal of trying to steal something and take it back to the boys' cabin and be like, this is what they do when we're not around, you know? But I think this journey was the science, the sociology, and just the, the personal growth was like the most fun I've had in, in a long time. And at the end of the day, I have friends for a Wednesday night. So That's amazing. My last question is what advice you have for aspiring authors? And I know as a journalist and now, you know, this big deal author that you are with this book, you have stuff to share. So go for it. <laughs> well, I'll say this, I, you know, I wrote 1 trillion newspaper magazine articles in my life. And I thought the publishing world was just this dark art. You know, like I didn't know how you ex access it. I knew it involved like agents and proposals and it seems very frightening. And then, you know, I mean, I just was in a bookstore one day. I was like, ah, you know, it's not, it's, you know, not everyone is Hemingway, right? Like we, we can do, you know, it, you can get in the door, but I mean, the hardest part of, of any writing project is sitting down and starting, right. And not being too precious about it. I mean, the opening of my book is me calling myself a loser. Okay. And it, and it worked. So yeah, I think the writing process for the book, I was shocked at how much I enjoyed it. Because when you open up that blank document and you're like, oh God, how, how long does this need to be? But each day was like a, a fun little growth period. And, you know, I, I feel like I wrote it for me. It was, it was, I was very privileged to be writing about a personal journey that I was kind of forced to go on because of this book. But, you know, I think, you know, I, I'm not the first person to give this sort of advice, but I mean, if you're writing for yourself and your own joy and, you know, I had these psychopath moments where I would laugh at my own joke that I just wrote down, you know, it was like, yeah, I'm having fun with it. Hopefully the reader will as well. And, you know, that's all you can ask for. I wanted to see if I could quickly find, I laughed out loud like three different times within the first five minutes, but now of course I won't find it. And now it's the end anyway, but I wasn't kidding about the podcast. If you have any interest in talking about it. I would, it sure. I would love let to. Let me know. Yeah. I think that could be really cool. So, okay, great. Great to meet you. Well, this was super fun. Great to meet you as well. I love the color coded books. I used to do that and then it just, it got messed up and then it was no going back, but I love it. I don't touch it. I just leave it.
I don't even and use most, that well. I'll tell you, after I color coded my books, I realized most books are white. Yeah, I can see it now. They well, that's are, good. I, All the white books are actually over here because I had to just like shove them in after I ran out of space. But anyway. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Well, have fun tonight. I can't wait to hear what you did. <laughs> Thank you. And yes, if you, if you want to chat about podcasting, I'd love to. Yeah. I really would. Okay. I'll email through your publicist or something. Okay. Thank you. All right. Bye. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 